You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back for the weekly talk and footy episode. And this week, we have Maddie Person back. Perso hasn't been on for probably oh, four or five weeks. Perso is a podcast veteran that you might have heard on plenty of podcasts before, but also a Tigers tragic. So, mate, how are you doing? The Tigers are doing basically as bad as what you expected, so I guess they're meeting expectations. <laughs> yeah, well, I wasn't wrong, was I? long-suffering Tigers fan. The, the funniest thing about the whole season is at the start of the year when we um, had conversations, I said, I think, um, lucky for the Cowboys, that it would be the only reason we don't get the spoon and then didn't the Cowboys show me wrong there? <laughs> oh, I think they showed everyone wrong. Like, I had them for it as well. Um, I thought the Titans would be pretty bad, so I mean, at least that one's down there. The, the, the Titans you know, could end up getting it. You might end up avoiding the spoon still. Uh, looking at our draw, I don't know where the next win's coming from, to be honest, but um, not, it wasn't unexpected. So, yeah, what do you do? Mm. Well, moving along, we do have a big episode on Talking Footy this week. There is a lot to talk about, as there always is. For the first time, listeners, uh, there is a Supercoach episode every week. If you love your Supercoach, we've got TLT. Tuesdays, we record that one for Supercoach only, hits on Wednesdays, and the talk and footy we record on a Thursday before the kickoff of the round, and it always gets up by Friday. So you can have a listen to that over the weekend. But talk and footy is just all about the biggest topics in rugby league, including past topics and players as well that we revisit to with the Legend Rewind in particular at the end of every episode that we look at with a great one this week to talk about. Uh, And also none of the media BS. It's just honest opinions. I'll give it to you exactly how it is. And if you don't like it, that's fine. We can disagree. But I'll tell you honestly what I think about it without any media bias. But let's move on to the first topic, and that is our normal round review. And round 18 was a round, per se, that was pretty, um, as expected, decimated by origin, being that post-origin period. And it's it's good to get out of the way because there's always restings and that sort of thing. But there was a few different takeaways from the round that were pretty important to look at. One of them was the first game, actually, that I wanted to focus on, the Sharks and the the Cowboys. That was one where it should have been a blockbuster. It really does highlight the problem with the origin scheduling that you can't really fix where 48 hours after an origin game three, uh, we have what should have been probably the game of the round with uh, two versus three at the time. And it ended up being a a Cowboys side missing a lot of players. The Crowley side was only missing Talakai. As such, they got on top 26 to 12 and the Sharkies got an easy victory. It was a game of a lot of ebbs and flows. But one thing that I really wanted to highlight in this one, controversially, was the, the Tamalolo try. Now, for me, I, I think this was talked about by, obviously, Peyton afterwards in his in his interview. And it was also mentioned by Annesley as well. But it is one of those things where I, I made the comment previously and I made the comment in several discussions and online about this one too. And I, I really, it really irks me with Ennisley when he comes out and says things like he did with this one in his press conference for round 18 afterwards, he said, I don't know any sport in the world that focuses on mistakes like rugby league fans do. And honestly, that just, that, that'll do me because I tell you what, I don't think rugby league fans focus on the little mistakes. And I made this point. I think that they focus on the absolute clangers. And the thing is, with a lot of other sports, you have a level of professionalism and performance that is 
adequate for a professional league. And at the moment, this season and even seasons past, I would question whether some of the calls that are being made are at a professional standard. And I have raised this before, so I'm not going to get on my soapbox about it. But this is the same thing. You know, this Tom Malolo uh, no try, that was such a terrible call that <laughs> dogs and cats would learn to speak to talk about how bad it was. That's, it was, it was lit- literally anybody that knows anything or watches rugby league in any way or even passes by seeing it would make a, a negative comment about that because the call was so bad. I'll give it to you how I saw it, Perso, and then you can tell me how you saw the call. Robson is going there as a support player. He's following with his arms out, only looking at Talmalolo, not even looking at defenders. Talmalolo is steamrolling through, and there's actually a still shot where you see him behind Talmalolo waiting for the ball, but you see Kennedy having hold of his jersey, pulling him back. And what ends up happening, and this is the whole thing that the NRL lived and died by on that decision, is that Robson ended up for a split second, less than half a metre in front of Tom Malolo as a support player. And that was only a split second, and it was only because of the impact of Tom Malolo being grabbed and pulled by Kennedy. And then a split second later, Tom Malolo is back in front of him, and Robson's a support player again. Now, obviously, uh, Hamlin Ueli came from behind and hit Robson trying to get to Tom Malolo. But I would say to Graham Andersley, and I would say to any rugby league fan that agrees with that decision, go and have a look at every single support play and tell me what they're meant to do. Because there is a million support plays that you could bring up just for this season where you have players that aren't even just in there as support plays in the way of a defender, but they're purposely impeding them. How many runaway wingers or centers do we see in the winger or center who, who doesn't have the ball runs a, ver- a, a line straight up to the try line in front of the defenders trying to get there? They do it all the time, and that's on purpose. Paul Robson was just there trying to score a try. So I would love the NRL to explain, per se, what they're meant to do as a support player. Is Robson meant to look around and look at the defenders that are coming while he's trying to support a guy and get the ball and score a try and win his side of the game and then move out of the way if they're coming? Is that what Annesley wants them to do? Well, he's supposed to be able to disappear. <laughs> that's it's, oh, it's ridiculous. I'm... Um, uh, so sick to death of this with the NRL. I mean, I'm not a ref basher. I won't, but uh, it's just so many of these things, especially when it comes more from the bunkers than the on-field ref. Well, that that went up as try, it's, I'm pretty sure, didn't it? And then... As a try, yeah, well, that, and that's the way they should have left it. But what's the point of not having faith in the on-field refs? Like, if it, it's, you want to look at that a thousand times and try and find something that's wrong with it, and then such a thing like that, which is... Where's the common sense in that rule? There's no common sense anymore. It's the same with the obstruction rule. It's, it's uh, That was just crazy. Like it, and that was a game-changing moment because it, it, the next minute, um, the Sharks saw down the next set down the opposite of the field. So it was a 12-point turnaround for the Cowboys. And that was game over then. Like as soon as that happened, the, the Cowboys were, were pretty yeah. done. Sharks went on with it pretty quickly. Anyone that's played rugby league, anyone that watched rugby league, anyone that's a fan of it, they, they wouldn't have any problem with the, whatever interference went on behind that with Robson. It's, it's just ridiculous. And this is where Annesley knows that for whatever reason, he doesn't seem to – there's too many times this year when he said, oh, yeah, that's wrong, or it's not wrong, or he's come out and backed a dodgy decision. And that's where he just needs to come out and say, well, yeah, that's wrong. There's, there's, <laughs> it, I think there's too much – um, too much fear in the rest about the grey area. They just go, okay, well, yep, he was in front of him, so bang, that's black and white, no try. They're not willing to just let common sense prevail 
and say, well, yeah, he might have been there for two seconds, but it had an, absolutely no impact on Tom Alano scoring the try. So, therefore, it's a try. Yeah, and black and white does not work when it's a subjective ruling. You know, you can have you can have black and exactly. white when someone's within 10 because you can say factually, that guy's here within 10 metres. He's offside. You cannot have a black and white rule where one person is going to see a play differently than the other because that's not black and white. That is someone's opinion on it. And if we're going to have opinions on it, we may as well have informed common sense opinions that are going to be part of the fabric of the game rather than the opposite. Oh. And that's... TV. PVL's come out with the six against and stuff as well, saying that's not black and white, it's up to discretion. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, look, I'll tell you the other <laughs> thing too in this game that I found fascinating. There was also another call trying to slide um, on a defensive play when they were five metres out, the Sharks attacking the line, and he slid into a block runner that was a first-man runner, and he hit his inside shoulder, that first-man runner. And the penalty was on Cohen Hess as a defender for hitting the block runner who hit his inside shoulder who was as black and white an uh, obstruction call as you'll get. And Cohen Hess got penalised for the Cowboys. You know, like they, they've just absolutely copped it with the obstruction in that game because that should have been a penalty to the Cowboys for obstruction from the Cronulla block runner. And instead it went the other way. And then you've got this. It's just silly that you had that call that was an easy one. And then the other one, which should have been an easy one, which they made a meal of. It's They, they really need to fix up the obstruction. And I'll tell you perso, like, don't you reckon you, you hear commentators and fans all rejoice at once when you hear a video ref go, this has happened, um, but we're going to say it's a defensive decision. In our opinion, they would never have gotten there anyway and it didn't impact the play. So in our opinion, they would have scored anyway, play exactly. on. And everybody just goes, great call. You know, so what are they scared of? Why why can't they do that all the time? What are we even looking at it for? Uh, oh, there's so many things this year where I just the ref, I feel the on-field refs made the right decision because of try, and they're just hanging. You're hanging. Uh, they're going to they're gonna look at this 15,000 times and try and find a reason to not award it. And even when they don't award it, or they end up looking at it 15,000 times, and I don't know, not that insufficient evidence, we'll just go with what the ref said in the first place. Yeah. Keep the bunk, keep the bunker out of it. It's that's uh, if the ref. I'm happy if a ref makes an on-field call and it's touch and go. I'd rather see a touch and go call and back the ref on the field than watch the bunker analyze and overanalyze and find reasons for it to not happen. And it's just uh, and it's just ridiculous. There's players that are obstructed all the time that it doesn't get caught. Like if you if you want to are. if you want to talk about a player being in the way, there's always players in the way. You can be pulling up three three tackles a set sometimes. Oh, for sure, and it's. Robson's got every right to be there as a support player. And I think this is the thing that um, the, the referees miss with this. What is the role of Robson? Is he running through as a block runner, as a decoy? Which you know, you know, when you're watching the replay, you know, is that guy a block runner? No, he's not. He's there as a support player. Well, because his role is of a support player, he's allowed to be there and support the ball. And that's all he's doing. And he is entitled to be there and not have to get out of the defender's way that's chasing. And by the way, the other thing missed too, Perso, is Ueli was chasing from behind. Like he wasn't going to get there anyway, but he's from behind. Uh, It's not like he's in a defensive line in front of Robson and gets impeded. So he's got no right to get impeded by a support player. Yeah. He wasn't impeded. (laughs) That's the whole thing. That's what's so stupid about that. Uh, It was a howler, that one. It it really was. And that's Tom Lola's first try of the year taken away, so I'm sure he's filthy. But, look, there were some other games too that round. We should move along. 
the Roosters and Dragons game. The Roosters put on 54 points. They did allow the Dragons to score 26. So it was one of those games that at the start, certainly the first half, I wasn't too happy because the Roosters started off 12-0 in that one. Looked like the Roosters of old a little bit. I thought they were hitting their straps. And then all of a sudden, they made terrible mistakes and let the Dragons back in the game. And they went into the half, not up, and it was just looking dire if they didn't turn it around again. And they just put on an absolute second-half clinic. It needs to be mentioned that Joseph Manu had an absolute field day, three line breaks, um, line breaks this, try this, two tries himself. He, he just absolutely killed it. Um, but Teddy was good too. I thought the, the halves, uh, the Walker was good at half. Um, I thought a lot of them were good. But two takeaways from this one, per se, from this Roosters versus Dragons clash. You sort of thought the Roosters might be winding in form, which is good. Um, but then all of a sudden, Satili Tupanua, ACL. Billy Smith, ACL. Takiyaho, broken eye socket. Um, that's the third year in a row that the Roosters have had two ACL injuries in one game, in the same game. Three years in a row they've caught that. So that's three of their starting 17 that are now going to be out for the most of the season or remainder of the season for two out of the three. So the other question that came out of it was, well, you know, the Roosters are rounding in form, but does that just absolutely kneecap them again and just throw them out of maybe even the eight, let alone being contenders? Uh, it's definitely it's not ideal, is it? you got to feel for Billy Smith, poor bloke. That's his third ACL. He's played 12 NRL games. He had a shoulder reconstruction and a list Frank injury as well. Like, it's just, uh, you hate seeing that. Um, uh, no better for Satili either. But, uh, yeah, they've got, the Roosters have got a bit of depth, but they were hammered by injuries last year. Still performed. Though. I think this year, yeah, it's it, just coming good. It's not ideal, that's for sure. Yeah, look, I've, I was chatting to a few people about this, and I'm going to sell to you why I think the Roosters are going to be okay. Um, first of all, Takiyaho, they brought in Lodge, and Lodge is now you know a really important replacement now that that's happened. Oh, that's a huge And Jared Wary Hargraves is back this week as well. Um, so I think Takiyaho is pretty much sorted. The other great thing that they've got too is Satili Tupanu has actually been dropped this year and last year for Nat Butcher. Now, Nat Butcher obviously slides straight into that edge rock. And They're not losing much with that. No, no. Yeah, so, so you can pretty sure. much say that that's all even. And some people were even not wanting Billy Smith in first grade, which, you know, no knock on Billy Smith. He just hasn't been on fire and he just hasn't had, had enough NRL under him to get that confidence up yet. So, you know, all things considered, all three of the replacements there could be okay. Um, so I think to me, it hinges really on how Kiri returns this week. And if he does, I kind of think that they can mask those other uh, losses pretty easily. It's definitely not as bad as losing uh, Morrison Collins last year in the same game. No, not at all. And, and then Kiri, um, I think it was what Kiri and Verrills, maybe it was, or Kiri and Radley yeah. the year before. Yeah, just uncanny that it's three years in a row. It's unheard of. It, it, it was against the Dragons twice as well. Yeah, that's true enough. too. I forgot about that. <laughs> the Dragons really are the bogey side, aren't they? Well, I mean, they, they looked good to Roosters. I liked that they put on the 54 points and they went along with it. Manly also looked really good. Uh, they put on 42-12 to 12 against Newcastle. Now, you are a Tigers fan, but you do live out in the Newcastle region. Knights just got absolutely pummeled by Manly. And Manly's been on a tear, really, that I think that a lot of us didn't really expect without Turbo. Uh, that was a good win for Manly, really important one. Is that the type of win that you sort of go, look, they're rolling? Or do you sort of temper it and say, look, it's the Knights and they've played some poor opposition lately and the Knights really didn't give them much... much uh, there at all, one try in the first half, one try in the second half, and really we're never in it. 
Oh, the, it's clear now the bottom five sides have sort of almost given up to a point. But um, no, Manly's going well. Oh, Manly are going really well without Turbo. They, they went well at the start of the season without Turbo. And um, I, yeah, they're looking staunch. I, I, they'll probably push. It's very tight at that bottom end of the eight. Like without Turbo, obviously, they're not going to be good enough to challenge the top sides. But they're um, definitely playing good footy without him. And they're definitely a threat if they get into to the top eight, which they probably should. The South Bulldogs game, South's won 36 to 28. But I think the takeaway there was, look, you could be glass half full or glass half empty on this one, per se. It's certainly something that was a, um, a water cooler talking point, though. Um, some people are thinking that South are definitely back. They certainly look a lot better. They've got three games with Latrell back now. And in this great game, Latrell Mitchell was outstanding. One try, one line break, 12 tackle breaks. Three try assists and three line break assists. He was absolutely on fire and he has been for the three games since. And if he's not in that game, Canterbury don't just win. They probably win comfortably. But the other thing with this game too that was really good to see is that that's two weeks in a row where Cody Walker's played much better. So you can sort of see in this Bulldogs game and certainly the one the week before in round 17 that Walker's looking a lot more comfortable having Latrell there. Walker himself scored a try, had two line breaks and seven tackle breaks and a couple of try involvements as well. So... He looks a lot more comfortable um, for you, Perso. You know, was that a, a glass half full win where they look good on the back of Latrell being outstanding and Cody being better and they've still got Murray and Cook to come back in the side? Or is it a bit of a glass half empty that they're beating up on sides like the Bulldogs and stuff and this week against Melbourne, it's going to be a lot harder? Oh, if I was a Bunnies fan, I'd be looking at glass half full. I mean, the Bulldogs are in that bottom five sides of crap, but they're probably the best of the, those sides. They've um, sort of... Been putting a few good wins together and a bit competitive over the last month. So out of the bottom five sides, they're probably the best side there. But uh, definitely with Latrell back, they're a different team. It just frees up Cardi so much. I think Cardi spent a lot of the time earlier in the season, sort of directing Ilias and getting Ilias to come into the game, and sort of which sort of took away from his sort of natural game. He he hasn't got a Reynolds there that's just naturally organising, so he's sort of babysitting. Ilias to a degree, not babysitting, but you know what I mean, helping his game out to develop, which sort of takes away a bit from his natural game and they've had disruptions in that left edge all year. The trail back makes a massive difference to them. Uh, are they back? I don't know. This week's the acid test. Storm will have a few dramas themselves. So it's a, it'd be a really um, interesting clash this weekend, the, the Storm and the, the Rabbits. You see where both sides are at. Yeah, Melbourne lost three games in a row on the weekend for the first time since 2015, so seven years, which is a long time. And you've obviously got to go back longer to see four losses in a row. So South is certainly going to be, if they can win this week, this will be a, a, a big show of where they're at running into that final third, going into the final series. So yeah, big one this week. That's definitely for sure. Um, well, let's move on to the next topic per se. And it sort of follows on from what we were saying about the Roosters. Calls all week and this has happened before too, Joey Manu needs to be moved to the halves. And first of all, I just, I absolutely have to just give it to some of the media for making a story out of this. You know, some of the headlines, <laughs> the Roosters halves headache, Robbo has, Robbo considering yeah. a big halves shift or all these type of headlines. And it's like, Robbo is not considering anything. You know, Robbo is not considering anything. They do not have a halves headache. And as a Roosters fan, I'll go on the record and say it right now. There is no consideration. There is no headache trying to think about this. Luke Curie cannot be left out of the team. 
Okay. So this is where I need to go to a non-Roosters fan person and get your perspective. Because to me, it's just ludicrous, right? If you put Manu in the centers, you're not going to drop Sam Walker and you're not going to drop Luke Keary. So how does it possibly work? The answer is it does not. The other thing too with the Roosters is, I've explained this to many people, as a starting 13, even though Joey Manu might have a really big impact when he gets moved to six or even to one, at the end of the day, the Roosters starting 13 is stronger with him at centre. And why is that? Well, because instead of having Nagama playing centre for you or putting Angus Crichton there and stuff in your pack up because there's not really any other options, you've and Kiri being left out, you have Manu at centre and Kiri actually playing. And that's a much stronger, formidable team than having those guys out and bringing guys in like Nagama to start at centre. You know, it, It's just a much better 13. So I don't think Robbo's thought about it at all. And he said nothing of the sort that would even make you think that he's thinking about it. But certainly the media wants to drum it up as a big story. And, and Manu's had some big games. Robbo would be laughing at it, surely. But uh, is, this a, is this a situation where people pay too much attention to Supercoach and not NRL? Uh, it might possibly look. I'm actually interested in your take on on Manu's performances as a six because I've got some controversial opinions about. Oh, uh, as far as the Roosters in the NRL perspective, well, obviously Supercatch kills it, but, but NRL factor it takes away. I don't like him as a six. Yes, yeah, in the weekend he got a dummy half and he's got draw and he's everywhere and he's all over the ball, but he can play that from centre. You can have those. It's like you got sort of two fullbacks. Tedesco and Manu just running all the time. From an RRL perspective, it's not. It doesn't really work. I, 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 I don't understand with this Kiri and Walker. Oh, you're going to drop Kiri to the bench so Manu can just run at five eight all day long. I just, it seems crazy to me. I don't think Kiri, a fit Kiri is better for the Roosters. It's it's not even a question. I think that the thing that people get carried away of, like you probably hit the nail on the head with Supercoach, but I think a lot of it's numbers. Like Joey Manu's numbers are very impressive when you actually look at it on paper. And he certainly, you know, does some flashy things. That flick pass he did for that line break assist, try assist was outstanding on the weekend against the Dragons. But the thing, the thing that people need to do to temper expectations with this, one, it's not going to happen for all the reasons that I said, but two, if it did happen, I'll give you a couple of reasons why you need to sort of step back a little bit. One, a lot of the time when Joey Manu has done these type of things, it's been against poor opposition. They put on 54 points against the Dragons, and the Dragons are not a top eight side. Uh, they aren't that good. Um, he played admirable against Penrith, but that's a Penrith, you know, mid-origin Penrith side with guys out as well. Um, and in the past when he's done it too, you know, he, he played fullback against Canberra earlier in the year when Canberra weren't playing well. Um, you know, it's, it, it's easier to jump in here and there and have these really dominant games. 100%. But it's very hard to jump into a six role when you don't play it consistently and then play 25 rounds of six and play like that. Because the other thing too is, Joey Manu is not not used to being one more into the ruck, making all those tackles. And what teams will do, because it's the smart thing and it's you know common sense in football, is that they're just going to run, run at him. him. Yeah, they're going to run him all day, like they do with the little halves and stuff. And the problem is with Joey Manu, he's not used to that. And he'll end up gassed or hurt. Um, and look, he's he's a fine, he's a great player. I love him. And he does play really well in the halves. But it will take him time to actually get used to doing that. And the other thing too is that you touched on as well, his skill set isn't a, a genuine half skill set, right? He can be effective there at times and certainly against poor opposition, he's going to carve up. But he's not a playmaker. Um, 
although he can you know, make plays happen just from his general ability. And he's a guy that takes a lot of time with the ball, which is okay in some games. But if you had that every game, unfortunately... Not against the top teams. When you, how's he going to affect the shape of the side when you look against the top sides where you've got that shape that you need to do? Like he, he's that sort of ad-lib player. Isn't he? Yeah, exactly right. And, and and like you can get away with that for a little bit, but you can't get away with it all the time. And it makes the attack a little bit stagnant. And a lot of his tackle breaks are those sort of stopping, starting, going from side to side and stuff. And I don't think it works that great and puts a lot of pressure on Sam Walker as a half as well to have to direct all the plays and do all the kicking because Kiri does a lot of kicking as well. Manu doesn't do any of it. So, Well, that's another point, yeah, 100%. Yeah, so I mean, to me, I think it's a bit overstated. Um, I'd love to see him at fullback or, or or maybe learning six somewhere, but he just doesn't need to at the Roosters. You know, to, surely he he can just stay at centre and just start to develop his game to be more involved. Exactly. Like, if anything, he, he's a similar player to Tedesco. So when Tedesco retires and moves on, he's got a pretty well ready-made replacement at fullback. Guy sort of runs in and gets involved, but he needs to develop his passing game a lot, money. But you definitely don't want him at five eight at the moment. But at setter, you can you can free him up like they did in the last year, and the way he's been going, he doesn't have to stay stuck out on edge. He can get himself involved and do that from centre. He doesn't need to be five eight. Certainly not at the expense of bloody Kiri. Yeah, for sure. And look, I'll tell you what I would like to see them doing. Uh, You know, I think you can capitalise on it. First of all, I think it's a really good point you made. Tedesco might only have a few years left. And Joey Manu is only 25. So, I mean, he could very well go into fullback at 28. And, yeah, that's fine. That still gives him, like, a good four years, five years at fullback. And that might happen. But i tell you what I would like to see him do. I I would like to see Robbo get a bit creative with it and run some plays to get him more involved where... You know, if they're going to if they're going to swing a play to the opposite side of his centre spot, that they get him going there and replacing Kiri and just getting in there and having a run, or or taking some of those Tedesco inside ball runs and that sort of thing. Like I think they could get really creative, even push Kiri one wider, and and get the ball to Manu and just let Manu do whatever he wants to do. Like they could probably do those type of things that they're not doing with him to get him more involved as well. Yeah, for sure. Which I think is sort of what they happened last year with Kiri out. That's where Manu got more involved, and especially at the back end of last year with those sort of players. So there's got to be a happy medium there somewhere, but um, definitely not putting him at six over Kiri. That's for sure. No, not at all. Um, So I'm looking forward to seeing them all play together this week against the Knights. But let's move along to another uh, controversial topic that has been talked about by fans, the media, everyone. Mal Meninga controversially at the start of the season actually let slip that Daly Cherry Evans is Kangaroo's number seven and it's his jersey to, to lose. Uh, a lot of people found that a little bit baffling, including myself. Uh, fast forward to now, and it's it's still being talked about that Cleary doesn't have the seven jersey. In fact, there's a lot of people that are now arguing because um, the Maroons obviously won the Origin Series and the trophy's up in Queensland now that the DCE, after a pretty good Origin Series, is still the, the Kangaroo's number seven and he, and he deserves it over Cleary. Um, look, I will um, give Daly Cherry Evans props per so. I, I said a couple of months into the season, it's some of the poorest games that I've seen Daly Cherry Evans play in his career. And I stand by that. If you watch the first couple of months of the season, there's some awful defensive efforts. There's some awful leadership. Defensively was a problem. Yeah, and there's some really bad leadership stuff in there as well, I think, as well. But just, and general play, just, you know, he wasn't good the first couple of months. There was a lot of um, negatives about his performances. Fast forward to now, 
and he's playing outstanding. His kicking game in origin was a large part of why Queensland have the, the shield at the moment. Um, and he and he played very well and was obviously a key part of that uh, winning Queensland origin team. But having said that, you know, an origin series to me doesn't, it isn't a selection audition for a kangaroo spot. It is a one-off series that maybe has something to do with it, but really you're looking at the form and, and how good the players are across the season. And if you're doing that, you know, if you look at Nathan Cleary's stats versus Daly Cherry Evans, they've almost got identical stats per so, like try assist, line break assist, force dropouts, all that stuff. It's almost identical. Um, but, of course, Cleary's played 25% less games than him this year and it's identical numbers. On top of that as well, right, I, I just want to remind people about who Nathan Cleary is because I feel like people have forgotten. He has gone to two grand finals in a row and is about to go to a third, very likely. He won the Clive Churchill medal last year in the grand final victory that Penrith had and has been the best player in a Penrith side where in the last three seasons, including this one, Nathan Cleary has only lost four games of football. Phenomenal, isn't it? Four. That's ridiculous. He's got like a 95% win percentage at NRL level the last three years. And he's doing that as the halfback and best player of the best team in the comp that really are hanging off him. You know, that's first of all. You know, Daly Cherry Evans isn't doing that with Manly. And Cleary as well. You know, Clive Churchill medal last year. You know what else he was last year? Halfback of the year. <laughs> so, I mean, anyone who thought preseason it wasn't Cleary's jersey, including Mal, oh, I think he's crazy. And I don't think that one good origin series from DC, who, by the way, none of his games were as good as Cleary's game two, gives him a Kangaroos jersey still. I just don't see where it's even a discussion. Uh, Mal, he's a, he's a loyal bugger, isn't he, who's Queenslanders? Don't say he's the incumbent. But, um, yeah, <laughs> well, uh, Cleary is the best half in the competition by more. Um, even through that series, DC stood up in that series. A credit to him. It was, he had a good series, uh, especially in the last game. But that was, it's, you know, halfbacks only perform off the back of their forwards. Um, yeah, if you're going to pick... I, if it was me picking, I'd pick Cleary. You'd have them both in the squad. But, I mean, DCE is incumbent. So, but the call that DCE needs to be picked over Cleary because Cleary can't deliver on big games and all that sort of call is just absolute rubbish. Yeah, I mean, I have heard it say, said that um, combinations are, are, are key as well. And, and, like, I've had... Um, you can't tell me that Cleary and Munster would be a good combination? Well, I've actually had people tell me directly that um, that's an issue. And, and I just look. I'll be throffing at that combination as oh. an Australian support. It, it, if we go in the World Cup with Munster at 5'8 and Cleary at halfback, how good is that? Like, I'd love to see that together. They complement each other perfectly, I think. I, I agree. And I, I, I think they're clearly, like, you could argue that Munster and Cleary are the two best players in the NRL at the moment. And I would. I would probably say they're the two best players in the league right now, if you were to name the two. And, and them as halves together work great, as you said. But people have put up the argument that, you know, DCE and Munster have experience together. And I've pointed out it's about a dozen games. But the other thing that I pointed out too is that it's the Australian team is completely different to a club side or even an origin side with combinations being even less because you have the best players in the world, the best 13 in the world starting together. Combinations don't matter. You put the best players in, the best players. And the Australian team always works it out. There's a win percentage to show that that happens. So I just, I don't think that comes into it either. Um, and I don't think that, honestly, I, I just don't know where the talk has really come from 
Um, and I do think the media sort of blown up a little bit. Um, and I do. Well, I think Cleary gets fairly hard done by, and I actually wasn't aware of it until sort of the last couple of weeks. Well, with, I gave. I'll be honest. Stuff. I gave it to him in the Origin series. Like I, I even after the game three review I did with Luke Garrity, um, I, I said yeah, that I think it? a lot of it was on Cleary's shoulders. But that's not me. You know, that's that's what that's a bad game. Uh, it's not me thinking that Cleary's no good and shouldn't be the Kangaroos or isn't you know, the best number seven in the game. But I was pretty harsh on him about his origin series, and I, I think some of it was deserved. Oh, I listened to it, and I agree, too. But game one, he, it's, Queensland, he just got rubbed out. And game three, again, sort of rubbed out. We had no... Game three in origin, it, just, it, it wouldn't matter who the... It wouldn't matter if Andrew Johns was half back. We couldn't get out of our own 20. And it, Queensland just belted us. But um, to say through that series at DCE is... Totally owned the spot and should be the Australian halfback. I don't know so much. I think Cleary's up to his eyeballs in that. And yeah, yeah. Apologies, Queensland fans, but um, I know that you love DC and you should. He's been great for your jersey this year, but he's not in the Australian. He's at least not the starting seven. I'm sure he'll probably be in the squad as a backup, and that's very fair because he's the second best halfback in the NRL as well. I'd say um, I'd say Luke Brooks and he'll get a start up in that squad. That's like a thirty-two man squad. And <laughs> everyone, everyone else is defecting to all the the, the tier three or four guys. It might so. need to include fourteen halfbacks if Brooks is in there. But you know, <laughs> we might see it. Look, let's let's move on and talk about this um, international scene a little bit more. Um, the English got a great rugby league player mm. just recently. His name is Victor what Radley. What a surprise that was. Very surprising. Um, but, you know, I, I have to say, like, I'm, I'm going to defend Victor Radley oh, to the hilt here. That's off too. Oh, 100%. I am so, like, I get annoyed and, and angry at stuff in the media every now and then. But I, I am genuinely so disappointed at Victor Radley actually copying it for deciding to spurn Origin and Australia to play for England. You know, how... How is it any different to him doing that than the boys going and playing for Samar? Yeah, that's right. And I think the difference, like, and we need to explain per se to the people listening because it is very convoluted as to how the representative scene works in rugby league. So England is a tier one nation, which means now that Victor Radley has declared his allegiance to them and will be picked in that side, he cannot which, play Origin or Which Australia. makes it an even harder decision for Radley than it does for the poly boys. Yeah, and that's right. And look, a lot of other players wouldn't have made it. And the thing that people need to understand is that Victor Radley's dad is English. And he said before that his his dad's dream has been for him to play for England. Like you could imagine Victor Radley talking to his dad and saying, I've declared for England, I'm going to play for him. Like his dad would have been in tears. That's the sort of stuff that is positive rugby league stuff. Like for someone to spurn a powerhouse that is Australia and actually do the opposite because a lot of the time it's players are obviously spurning other countries to play for Australia or to play in origin. He said, no, you know, my, my family wants me to play for England and I'm going to put my hand up for him. That's fantastic. Put yourself in Radley's situation. He's on the cusp of being playing for New South Wales. Well, he's born, he's an Aussie, but he's got that passion to represent England, to represent his father. And he knows what he's given up. Like he, as a New South Wales fan, it's, yeah. I'm disappointed in that respect because I reckon Radley's made for Origin, but I have all the admiration for him for making the decision he's made. It couldn't be an easy decision. And that's what he's made, and he wants to represent his heritage, and he's 
going out there, he will play for England. And I've got absolutely no problem for it, of it. And I kudos to him for doing it. I, I applaud him. It's a very brave decision, and it's one that should be supported. And I'll tell you what, that's, that's really contradictory. You see in the media a lot of the time um, when they're talking about how, and this has been forever, you know, decades and decades, you could go through Fox Sports old archives or Channel 9s or, you know, any any sort of media outlet, and they talk about how we need to help the other rugby league nations. We need to make the sport international. We need to get the World Cups better. We need to do what we can to get players wanting to represent their country, not turning their back on them and all this stuff. Bradley does exactly that and he gets negative press for it, you know. And then all of a sudden you get people saying things like, well, the Blues jerseys don't mean as much to the Blues players and all this sort of thing. Oh, the Australian jersey doesn't mean as much and all this. It's like, no, he has made a decision for himself and his family and it is the sort of decision that we've been craving more players to make. And the other contradictory thing that's really hypocritical is that you do not see this type of negative press when someone turns their back on a, a, a lower country, um, a lower tiered country or lower ranked country to represent Australia as a number one ranked country. Like you don't hear peep about that. And that's, it's really disappointing. You know, obviously I'm an Australian Kangaroos fan. I'm Australian, but I'll barrack for them at the World Cup and everything. But I want to see other countries succeed. And this is the type of thing that helps that, doesn't it? 100%. That's, that's just... It's just ludicrous. Uh, oh, that whole, oh, oh, passion, don't care about it, blah, blah, blah. The whole with um, Luai, Crichton and um, Toa representing New South Wales, but they want to go and rep Samoa. I absolutely love that. I love it. Uh, Toa and Luai were born in Australia. Their parents came over from there. So to, for them to represent their heritage of the two two nations and just that's all about strengthening the international rugby league which we really need to do i love it i love that they've got the passion for both why can't they have the passion for both why why where has this narrative come from to be they oh, they just want to play in there it's just garbage yeah and i'm like i really 100 percent agree with you and i really think that a lot of people um think that they're just doing it for football and for football reasons where I reckon that there's a lot of people that sit at home that are in, from multicultural backgrounds that get it. You know, there's a lot of people that have two parents, one from Australia and one from an overseas country. 100%. They completely get it because if you're from that type of background, you embrace both cultures and both countries and you're just as much a part, much a part of both of them, you know. It's been a fairly hard path to get out to this country for a lot of people. Mm. So, yes, they're born here and stuff. Why wouldn't you want to represent your heritage where... You've got the opportunity to when there's been such a hard path to get out to and have the life they have. Yeah. Look, it's well done, Victor Radley. It's a brave decision. It's a shocking one that I didn't expect, but I applaud you for doing it and I completely support you. It's a really, really good thing for English Rugby League and uh, I hope they appreciate you, which I'm sure they will with how you play the game. Disappointing you won't play for the Blues, but yeah, all kudos to Radley. Do you need to take a quick break to mention the partner of the All-Stars podcast in Topsport, topsport.com.au. You can go there today and have a look at a 100% Australian-owned bookmaker that often has the best odds in market. You can also use a really easy-to-use app and download that on your smartphone today. But Topsport have 
fantastic odds, but they've also got some great markets. It's not just all about sport and rugby league. It's also about racing as well, where you can get some great odds. But also if you're a super coach buff and you like betting on super coach, you can bet on fantasy sports scoring there as well, which is great. So the player performance markets, you can go over and under on scoring. It's a different point system, but it is based on the NRL stats. So it's based on the real NRL stats that you can see each game. And it's a real fun way to get involved if you like to have a punt too. But if you're going to, make sure you gamble responsibly. But make sure that you also, if you're going to create an account today, use the promo code from this podcast. That is that is SC All Stars, all one word. Use that promo code when you create an account at topsport.com.au today. They'll know that you're one of our listeners and take great care of you because of that. But topsport.com.au, go jump on them today. Reese Walsh has been rumoured to move to the Storm as a mid-season transfer. And this is... Such a Storm play, isn't it's, it? It's opened up a big can of worms. Now, I'm going to just... I've got to go out and say, you know, there is no factual evidence of any of this. <laughs> it is. It may very well be a rumour where um where someone like Vossi has tweeted, you know, the Storm should do something like this. It's a very Storm move and nothing has actually happened. And then it's just spiralled from there and everyone's talking about it. But... What the, what the Reese Walsh move has opened up is the can of worms again of mid-season transfers. And I have to say, personally, I don't like it. I never have. And to me, it, it, well, if this happens, right, you have a, a team six, six weeks before the final start or whatever, seven weeks before the final start, getting a new fullback, a ready-made fullback replacement for someone you know, there hasn't been a Melbourne Storm player. And it's a rental. And that's the worst thing. It's not even like someone who's getting signed for part of the season and he's going to play next year for them and stuff as well. It's just a rental. So I absolutely hate it. Um, it used to be a June 30 deadline. It got moved to August 1 during COVID. And for whatever reason, the NRLs just dropped the ball and it left it at August 1 instead of pulling it back to June 30, which I think is unbelievably mm. unprofessional and amateur. It should have still been June 30. It's a massive oversight. I, I just, I can't, again, it's professional organisation, NRL, best rugby league competition in the world. and amateur where they didn't move their deadline back because it got moved for COVID and they forgot to put it back and now teams can still sign players after June 30. It's crazy. But just overall, Perso, how do you feel about it? Because to me, it kind of feels a little bit dirty. And I have to say, like, I don't, I'm not dirty if the Storm do it. Panthers did it last year. The Roosters have done it with Lodge recently. I don't, I'm not blaming any club. Clubs are playing by the rules and that's what you're allowed to do. It's not the Storm's fault if they get Reese Walsh. But it is... 100%. You can't, but the clubs are smart. They just do what's in front yeah, of them. Yeah, but it is the NRL's fault, though. And I have to say, I don't like the rule. 100% it is. It's ridiculous. I absolutely hate it. I hate that you can even sign from November last year to another club. Like Luciano and Leigh Lewis is a prime example of that. Signs in November last year, plays like a busted all year, winches and bitches and moans, and then goes to the Cowboys, where he signed... Who he did sign last year, he goes this year and he plays like a. <laughs> it's just, I've, uh, I've had a massive problem with that that type of signing for a long time, let alone these ones like um, Tavita Pangai last year going to Penrith for five games. And, you know, this this just reeks of the same thing of that. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how you fix it, is the question. That's, that's, but it's, it's just, it's terrible. Fans don't like it at all. And, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it takes a really strong sort of character if you're going to sign 18 months out and still give you all to the club that you're at when you're not. And if things, it's all good, well and good when things are going well. But if the um, things aren't going so well, which they weren't at the Tigers or for Lua. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just all too easy to throw your hands in the air and go, oh, I don't care. We're getting paid out in a grant. And 
800 grand next year. So, yeah, I'll just kick stones until I can get out of the joint. It's it's not a good look. I don't, I don't like it at all. That opens up another point too where, like you said with Luciano, what it always does and what should be the NRL's concern is that it, it's always the top teams that are benefiting and the bottom teams that are suffering. And it's That's right. you don't see, you know, top eight teams lose a player and go into a bottom eight team. That doesn't happen. It's always the other way around. So it's just the rich getting richer. And I, I likened it to fantasy competitions, right? I mean, I mean, a lot of NBA fantasy competitions and it's all drafts. Everyone's got different players, not like super coach um, or it's like super coach draft, I guess. But it's like when you get in super coach drafts, say, you know, the guy that's second last dumps all of his players in a trade to the guy that's first, you know, <laughs> and it just stacks the deck yeah. of the top teams. And, and that's exactly what it does. All, all this does is help the top teams get richer and it just ruins the rest of the season even more from the bottom teams. And I'm going to use Reese Walsh for an example there. The Warriors only just moved back to their home games. You know, the, the Warriors fans have been waiting, what, two and a half years to get games back at Mount Smart. They got one game back, and now their most exciting player arguably isn't going to play there, potentially, if this move happens. Like, what a kick in the teeth for the final third of the season for Warriors fans. Ah, oh, yeah, 100%. It's ridiculous. Like, he's already, Walsh, look, the whole saga with that has already come out saying that he, like he's he's split with his partner and he won't see his kids so he doesn't move. So they've granted him permission to not honour his contract with the Warriors to go to Brisbane, which is one thing. But then all of a sudden he's on the bench now and it's Chanel harris Devita is on is playing fullback who's also said he doesn't want to play football next year so he's to go travelling. <laughs> so I don't know. It's a bizarre decision to set him on the bench. But what I would say is at least, look, he's still playing. Like, it's not even like he's been dropped to reserve ground or something. Like, Warriors fans get to see a little bit of brilliance from him still and stuff. And I just, look, I'll tell you how I reckon you fix it, Perso. And you can tell me whether I've got any holes in this proposal to the NRL. I reckon that you can have mid season transfers that aren't mid season because if it's mid season, it rips at the integrity of the competition too much. Um, and those transfers should happen by, say, week eight. And I don't like dates, okay, because obviously yeah. things like COVID or whatever else can happen and, and dates are different. It should be on the amount of games. So by round eight, by the conclusion of round eight, transfers have to be complete. After that, nobody's going to move clubs for that season. As far as signings go and being able to do it in November, the problem with a lot of um, those type of changes for the for signing new contracts is always going to be that you can't do it at the end of the season because Players only get a couple of months off. It's not enough time. Um, and then also players have to, you know, teams need to have their squads in place. Um, they need to put together their preseason regime and training and everything leading into the season. It's just not enough time. You know, you've got players moving into state or even to a different country at times. Not enough time. Completely get that. Support the players. The Players Association will never get to a point that they say um, you've got like a November um, signing month where you can sign players for next season. It will never happen. But what you can do, is that you can say we're going to leave it until a certain period of time for a signing period, and that's going to be late in the season. So say you've got that period from the, I don't know, round 20 to the first week of the finals, uh, maybe even round 18 to the first week of the finals, something that gives you like three months leading into the finals, um, and then it stops. And then it starts again after the finals are done. Or you could just say, you know, we're going to we're going to allow you to start to negotiate new contracts from round twenty every year, or, or whatever period they they pick for that window to happen would be fine. And they, if the NRL is smart, they they telecast that like they do with the draft, 
in a lot of American sports, you, you could make it. <laughs> it's television viewing, isn't it? If with all the ratings of the players, oh, it's on here, it's on there. Yeah, a hundred percent. You got that window. You can make that. Well, okay, here we go. Oh, this guy's on here. This guy's on there, and then that's it. There's that one period. That's it. You know, nothing drags on. It does. That's that's the. There's just so many windows with the NRL. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think that the thing is, if you do it like new contracts from around twenty rather than November. You're not going to get players like not putting in for their side, and that's the biggest thing. And it's hard to say that players don't put in, but I'll use the comparison. Leilua didn't put in for the Tigers this year, and that's on him, not not the system. Because when you look at Coruscant and Papali, who are both going to the Tigers next year, Coruscant has been on fires, arguably one of his best seasons he's ever had, and Papali was a second round of the year last year, and he, he hasn't lost any form this year at all. But the Earls, he's been outstanding. So a lot of that goes back on the individual. But it's just it's just not a good look to the fans when someone signs 18 months out. No, it's not. And, like, you might – I mean, obviously there's going to be talking. You might know that people are leaving or they're not going to re-sign or whatever. But the other thing, too, that I think it would stop backflips. Like, you've got the Isaiah Papali'i talk now, for example, where there's talk that he might backflip against Toy. It stops it because you kind of you're getting to towards the end of the season. That's your last season, so you've got more of a chance to say, you know, what I was thinking about signing elsewhere, but I'm happy where I am. I'm going to do it. I'm going to stay here. You know, instead of doing it a season before, and then that next season, starting from scratch with a new preseason and everything with your current team being the last one, your last season you're playing for, that can influence you to want to change by the time you get to this point. So, yeah, I, I just think that you can give players enough time without giving them too much time. And to me, that sort of round 20 scenario kind of works. The The thing that the NRL is always going to talk about, though, with that, that they're not going to like is that they're not going to want signing news and things to happen during the finals, right, once that starts in September. Yeah, exactly, which is why they'd be better off doing it straight after because that keeps NRL in the headlines through summer. Yeah, so maybe like around 20 to um, first week of the finals period. And then you can't sign anyone until the until after the grand final, something like that. Um, yeah, something like that could work. But look, we're not going to solve all the problems on this podcast, and I'm sure the NRL won't <laughs> listen to us anyway. Uh, so let's talk about the other rule change that's been spruiked in the last couple of weeks. Uh, six again, six again, six again, changing again and again and again. We've already obviously changed the six again rule this year per se, where it's only like half the field now where you get the six again, the other half you get the penalties. Spoken on this podcast previously, I think Luke Garrity we've ripped up how um, it was inadequate from the start and they've already tweaked it this year. Now, in the last couple of weeks, it's been said that the NRL is looking at um, trying to change it for the final plays of the game where they're not going to give six again and you get to play after the 80th minute to complete your set. Regardless, and to me, this is trying to fix something per se that is not broken, but it is classic NRL. If NRL have a problem under the current administration, rather than fix the problem, they come up with a solution that's got nothing to do with fixing the problem. And and they haven't even looked at what problems it's going to cause. Yeah, they just they just say, "Well, jump in the bag of rules. Let's just grab a new one." And that's basically the answer to a lot of it. And you're right, exactly right. It just causes other problems. And that's how they ended up in this to begin with. And they just keep digging a bigger hole, bigger hole, bigger hole. I'm surprised that they don't end up falling through to China at the end of the world. 
because their hole's yeah. that big at this point with all the rules that they end up dragging out. This is all, this is all the poor reaction to Ben Hunt exploiting the rules the other week against the Riders, which is well and really right to do. Yeah, but I don't even so, think it's exploiting the rules, right? It was the referee not making the call. 100%. But then that's this is where this has come from. So, okay, now we're going to do that. Whether well, they can just call six again, you can go into extra time. But what happens if that just keeps happening? You're going to play 40 minutes of extra time? Yeah. Because you get six again, six again, six again. <laughs> like, fair there is, there is absolutely no need for it. Absolutely no. And I, I, I'm just going to call it 40. I think it's just dumb. I think it's stupid. I think it's a dumb rule. Oh, ridiculous. 80th minute has always been the game's over. You can finish your play. To say the game's over, you can finish the rest of this set. Like, that's just dumb. It doesn't make any sense. And uh, honestly, I don't think it fixes anything. Um, I think that... It, it fixes nothing. Surely you can just say to the referees, hey, these are the rules. Can we just stick to these and just call it properly? And that'll actually solve the problem because Ben Hunt would have been off. And even if, like... I'll put this to you as well. well that was that was a that was, it wasn't just a penalty. That was a professional foul. Ten minutes in the bin every day of the week forty years ago. Let alone now, but it was just so blatantly obvious. And it's like, oh my god! And even if someone wants to do that, right? Like you're saying, you're going to change the rule so someone could have a set, which might break down the second tackle, and then it's over anyway. But if the rules are applied, even though the buzzer goes, they still have a play there that they can make thirteen on twelve which I think a lot of people might argue is actually more beneficial just to have the 13 on 12 and play that than actually have, you know, a new set 13 on 13. It's, yeah, it, it's just, it seems silly to me per se. Um, do you even think they need to change anything with it? I just think they need to get rid of the six again. I don't like it at all. <laughs> I don't like it at all. It, it just It's just creating more grey areas now. Yeah, I, I do question the people on the street that Peter Volandi says that he talks to when he comes up with this stuff because he always quotes that, doesn't he? It's, when I talk to people on oh, the yeah. street, they, they tell me this is what they want. I haven't met anyone that said this. I reckon if they did so, a poll, everyone would say, get rid of six again. It's done nothing. This would be a great time for them to put their hand up and go, look, we tried something. It didn't work. Put their hand up. <laughs> it didn't work. We'll get rid of it. We'll go back. It's like They just keep changing it. It didn't work. <laughs> it was way too aggressive last year, and that's why we had all those blowouts. And, and then this year they tried to change it again. But the way they've changed it this year is just it's just allowed everything else to creep back in the game. It, there's no purpose to it anymore. Hmm. And then it just gets exposed. Like imagine that being a semi final or grand final, where the, it should be just a blatant penalty. And no, nah, this is again. Oh no, that's all right. Ref discretion. All good. Over. What happened in game three of the State of Origin in 2020, where you had the Queensland pile on for the last eight seconds of the game for the last tackle, mm. where the ref didn't do anything. So it's just, it, it's, there is, I hate that we create rules to fix problems rather than actually just fix the problem. Like if we have a problem with that rule, fix the rule, don't make a new rule. That is what I would manage exactly. the NRL like if I was Peter Blair. The refs, the refs are dead if they do, dead if they don't. I seriously don't think they know what they need to rule half the time. Mm. It makes it hard, and I think they, that's when they sort of rely on the bunker a little bit as well to try and help them out. It's just it's ridiculous. I, I'd be happy <laughs> just to let the like, – I've watched this year with the refs making the decision. I think they get it right more often than not. With it, But then 
you get that bunker come in and look at something that's not there or not. They don't call for the bunker. If the ref doesn't call for the bunker, forget the bunker. Just go with it. Yep. Like, why are we wasting so much time? Yep, I agree with you. I think that the only thing that we can do as fans, per se, and everyone listening, find out what streets that Peter Vlandis goes jogging at night. Find out what streets he... Where's his cafe? What coffee is he getting? Get on... Is it, no. I don't have a coffee with PVD. Moore Park. There's a cafe out at Moore Park. Castle Ray Street's got some good cafe. Where is he? Because go walk those streets, everyone. Go and tell him. Give him other feedback. Because I think he's telling Porky's about the feedback he's getting from fans on the street. But we digress. Look, end of the podcast, we have Legend Rewind Perso looking back at the career of an old player. And tell you what, this is one of my favourites again. And I say that about all these guys, but I, I love all the rugby league players. Peter Sterling, what a sensational player! I normally start off with all the stats and everything that you try. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go to you. All right, you start off, and then I'll go all the stats and hit everyone with with all of your accolades in his career. What is what is your take on Peter Sterling? What are your memories about Peter Sterling playing? Ah, uh, still as a legend, I've met him quite a few times. He he's, he ended up buying a house up the bay where I lived, and uh, I've run around, but um. He was a little bit uh, – I didn't get to see his best footy. I was only a little kid then. So his commentary was <laughs> outstanding. That, uh, that's the part I remember. And he's just football brain, his commentary. But, um, yeah, it, four, what do you have, four or five grand finals right through the 80s. So I, by the time I started um, being old enough to remember footy, he was coming to the end of his career. He so a couple of shoulder injuries and stuff like that. But uh, he's a – Outstanding footballer. You, I've watched all those grand finals that he played in back, and he just, yeah, he <laughs> something else. He's the most humble guy too. Like you talk about, I've heard um, Andy Raymond with his unfiltered podcast. Did he um, interviews him, all the legend footballers, and he's, uh, he's going to still as adamant that he shouldn't be an immortal. He shouldn't even be in the immortal comment. He just he's nowhere near those guys and that sort of stuff. So he's just a really humble human being. Yeah, he's like, I think that unfortunately he's been looked over um, and as some of these guys that we do talk about have been. Peter Sterling is up there with the greatest halfbacks that's ever played rugby league and I'll just put that straight out there. 100%. And the, the 80s are actually a long time ago now. You know, it pains me to say that he, he dominated the 80s with some really good Parramatta teams and much like Nathan Cleary, these Penrith teams, like those para teams dominated and, and Sterling was arguably the, the rudder that was leading them around and one of their best players. He's just his numbers. You know, he's got four premierships, 81, 82, 83, and 86. Four premierships. Two kangaroo tours. He, he won the Rothmans medal twice, 87 and 90. And the 1991 is a big one because his career ended in 1992. Yeah. He actually, he came in in 78 and in his last couple of years in 91 and 92, he hardly played because of a bad shoulder injury. But he was the Rugby League Week, so the old magazine, the Rugby League Week, that actually came up with the whole immortal thing and everything. Rugby League Week had a player of the year when it was going. He won it three times, 84, 86, 87 as the best player of the year. The Dally M, which everyone knows, won it back-to-back, 86 and 87. He won the Dally M. Dally M halfback of the year, basically had a mortgage on it throughout the whole 80s. Um, Clive Churchill medal in the grand final for the best player in 1986. Golden Boot Award as the best player in the world in 1987. 
And, you know, the other thing too is that Rugby League Week actually did a, a poll in the, a big thing in the, in the 1990s, in the mid-90s, where they rated the top 100 players. And he was rated number 11 out of all the players that have played in Rugby League. Yet, after 343 first-class games, plenty of games for Australia, um, for New South Wales, being a one-club man for the Eels across 14 yeah. seasons. Um, 228 games for the Eels. Went over to England and played in grand finals there for a couple of years. You know, he's he's still not really spoken about. Like, people, I think, recognise Sterlow from his commentary um, and from his media career, and he sounds very smart and everyone appreciates that. But everyone sort of thinks he's better at that than what he was as a player. And I think that a lot of people probably need to go back and watch some tape of, uh, of Peter Sterling. Always. He's the best coach never to coach. Still, uh, he would have been a fantastic coach, I reckon. Oh, he would have. And that, that's probably, you know, when we're talking to people who haven't watched him before, if you watch him on the field, how, you, how you've heard him commentate and talk about the game and why Per se says he'd be such a good coach, that's exactly what he did on the field. You know, he is, if you went into a lab and you built a halfback, the perfect halfback, you'd come out with Peter Sterling. He could do everything, but his kicking game was amazing and immaculate. His passing game was on point. He had the best playmaking in the league pretty much for the decade. Uh, and he was only a small guy that was actually quite slow, but he still scored a lot of tries and made made a lot of things happen. The amount of line breaks that he would make with a lack of speed and then just setting up guys. And it's a real little things with his game perso. Like He was ahead of his time. Oh, massively. Way he played. And he's one of those guys that if he played now, he would actually still dominate. And he was only a little guy as well, but he would still dominate. He would dominate maybe even more now. And it's really little things I like. Like, I love the little things. And, like, obviously everyone gravitates towards the highlights. But if you watch clips of Sterlow, one of the things that you'll see, like, just is just one of the many skills that you need in a halfback. He was better than just about anyone at actually drawing the defence in and creating a gap and then being able to hit hit a pass to someone going straight into that hole. And every single time, you know, he used to have these scrum plays where he'd go on the blind side and he would engage and engage and engage and engage the defender until he came in and then just pop it straight to the right player, perfect pass, and away they go. He did that all the time. And it's just one of the many skills that he had. To me, he's he's one of the best halfbacks I've ever seen. I'm not going to put him up against Joey. I think it's a bit unfair um, like you, I was only a kid when when Sterlow was dominating, but I've gone back and watched yeah. a lot of his games. I think um, what sums it up, so I've seen a few things over the years. So there was Jack Gibson was in it. He asked who he's who the best player was he ever coached. He had one answer, Sterling. Oh, that's that's a fantastic point as well. And Gibson is arguably the greatest coach of all time. Wayne Bennett's probably going to argue about it, but he's right up there. So uh, that that says what sort of player he was. Yeah. Uh, look, there's a couple of, like, I, I've got one game in particular that I do remember as a kid, and I was only young in the 80s, but I remember it vividly that, that uh, Parra was playing East, and you didn't have many tries in some of these games. Parramatta scored five tries against East, and Peter Sterling is a slow, small halfback that wasn't a runner, scored three of the five tries that Parramatta scored against East and set up the other two. And that was the ball game. Um, and I'll throw, I'll throw a quote out there, right? A lot of people don't realise that Steve Mortimer is also one of the best halfbacks of all time. Uh, they were against each other at the time too. That was, they were against each other era. at the time. And, and Sterlow kept Mortimer out of the Australian team for years because Sterlow was ahead of him. And one of the things that um, 
that Mortimer quoted as that I thought was a fantastic quote. He said his kick and his creative organising ended up controlling games to the point it was like he was doing it all on a computer joystick. And that pretty much sums up to me how how he could control games. And when you watch these games too, you notice Sterlo, don't you? You just you always notice him there. He's in everything, and he's really controlling the whole game, much like a, a Cameron Smith that we lord, you know, in the in the last twenty years about how he could control the game. Uh, Peter Sterling did all that, and he's one of the smartest players I think that's ever played. A hundred percent. That's he fell into. Um... Commentary afterwards, otherwise we'd be talking about him as one of the best coaches and that they've applied the game, I think. Yep, and uh, his win percentages were pretty remarkable too. Like, um, especially when you're having a look at his Australian win percentages, actually the 90-plus percent at a time when England was actually really hard and we had kangaroo tours that were tough to go across in and everything. He um, had had really good success there as well. Uh, so, you know, it's a Parramatta side that was an absolute... Like it's a dominance of like the Melbourne Storm, that Parramatta side in the 80s. Um, that's how dominant they were. And they look, they had a great side too. Um, and that's probably one of the other points as well, Purser. Do you reckon you could come up with a better halves combination than Brett Kenny and Peter Sterling in the history of rugby league? That's got to be right no, up there. No chance. <laughs> no chance. That's a combination, isn't it, uh, for the ages? That would stand up. If, if you could build time machines and, and um, take everyone back to places and you play some masters and get them into the, all the the routines that Harold players go through these days. You tell me that uh, Sterling Kenny combination wouldn't carve up in the NRL now. Oh, it would be phenomenal. And even that Parramatta team, like that Parramatta team, had other guys too. Um, like they had Ella, um, Eric Growth, Ray Price, a lot of these all-time greats. And I think that that probably overshadowed. Sterling's career a little bit in retrospect. Like, do you think that maybe people look at those sides and go, wow, you know, all these great players and all-time players and Sterling kind of gets lost a little bit in it. But really, without him, and you you mentioned Jack Gibson said this, like he was the most, he was the best player. Without Sterling, all of them have basically said they wouldn't have gone anywhere. And that's a team that went to, uh, I think, six grand finals and they won four of them. Yeah, phenomenal. Well, Peter Sterling, what a career. Um, one of my favourite halfbacks. Forgotten immortal, really. When you look at the guys that are immortal, like, I've got a massive problem with the whole immortal thing, but yeah, he's definitely a forgotten immortal. Yeah, and look, that was going to be the last question I asked on Sterling. Like, uh, he's he's someone who is largely forgotten, like I said, for how good a player he was. And I really think that if you just look at his achievements, you should be able to see how good he was. But would you have him as an immortal, Perso? I would. Definitely. I, I don't think he's far behind Molly Lewis. Well, was uh, out of that era, I, 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 yeah, I, for sure, Sterling should be an immortal from that era. And, and I would say as well, like if you're looking at um, other more modern players, um, there's there's some similarities with a Jonathan Thurston. Um, and Jonathan Thurston's been lauded as, as needing to be an immortal. Um, he's, no offence to Cooper Cronk, but Peter Sterling was leaps and bounds better than Cooper Cronk. And I hear especially Queensland supporters um, talking about Cooper Cronk being an immortal. Leaps and bounds ahead of him. Um, and you've got guys like Mal Meninga that are, I think are deserved immortal. And I would say that uh, Peter Sterling has a claim to be better than than guys that are already immortals like Meninga as well. So uh, Sterling, I, I would make an immortal 100%. He was actually born in Queensland as well, per se. So he is one of those guys that played for New South Wales but was actually born in... Uh, 
He was two. He was two when he moved. So he's, yeah, we, all, we south of the border, we do hassle Queensland for stealing some players, but um, we, we steal a few too. Sterlow was one. He was born there, but he, he did grow up down here. So, uh, yeah, Peter Sterling, fantastic bloke. I met him a few times myself as well. He's an absolute champion. Probably the smartest rugby league man that you can ever talk to. Oh, he's got such a brain, doesn't he? It, that's why I say, like, it, it, he had such a great. Um, career in in the media and in commentating stuff that that sort of killed he would have been such a great coach he's just got such a good football yep. he's, i reckon he's the smartest he's the best he's one of the best halfbacks that's ever played and he's probably the smartest player of all time that's been on a football field anyone who didn't get to see peter sterling's career to finish up what i would urge you to do watch some of the kangaroo tour games watch look up peter sterling kangaroo tour and you'll see some great highlights and look up the Parramatta grand finals and you'll see some fantastic games as well. But that is everything for this podcast for this week on Talk and Footy. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, but particularly thank you, Perso, for jumping on again to talk some rugby league with me. No worries, bud. You always love jumping on this board. Cheers, mate. Well, everyone that wants to listen, you can download or stream us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Also jump on the sponsor of the NRL All Stars podcast in Top Sport. You go to topsport.com.au and create an account today and use promo code SC All Stars so they know you're one of our listeners and they'll take great care of you. But next week, we've got the Tuesday TLT record happening for Supercoach, which will hit on the Wednesday, another talking footy episode on Thursday that we'll record for a Friday. So we'll be back again next week with all that. But for now, enjoy the footy this weekend in round 19. Can't wait to chat to everyone again next week. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get 